You know, everything that's happening in our world that we don't like is just an angry thought. And what I'm seeing happening at the moment, like there's been the presidential election, there are a lot of really lovely people who want to see the world uplifted, but they're angry because their candidate didn't get in. And so these just these angry thoughts just keep perpetuating and perpetuating. Even if you're a lovely, well-meaning person, you know, you still got those angry thoughts. So this message of just sitting back and reflecting and saying, hey, is this helping me? Is this helping the world, this angry thought? Can I choose a better thought? Can I choose love? It's so important. That's how the Choose Love movement started. It was at Jesse's funeral and I spoke and I said, this whole tragedy started with an angry thought in Adam Lanza's head at some point. Adam Lanza's our shooter. I picture him as a little boy having an angry thought without the tools and nurturing environment to deal with that thought. The anger grew and grew. And we know that every single one of us has between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day, every single one of us. And we know through research that up to 70% of those thoughts are angry, mm-hmm. not productive, and don't serve us. Mm-hmm. 70% of our thoughts, each thought is impacting us on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. Each thought is firing neurons in our brain. Mm-hmm. And we're either moving at any given time towards love or we're moving towards fear. And that means all of us. That means physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so I asked everybody, I said, you're asking what can I do for you? There is something that you can do. You can actively change one angry thought a day since this whole tragedy started with an angry thought (laughs) and an angry thought can be changed Mm -hmm. at any time this tragedy could have been stopped Mm -hmm. so please take an angry thought and consciously change it into a loving thought one thought a day and I said by doing that you'll positively impact yourself those around you and through the ripple effect you'll make this a better world and oh my gosh the feedback I got back from that about a week later, people writing from all over saying that one little action every day changed their life, mm-hmm. that they had never thought about what they thought about. And when they did, they realized that that was true and that they never realized that they could change, that they had control over their thoughts. Yeah. And so yeah. it's such a beautiful, beautiful movement that, you know, this is the choose love movement It's choosing mm-hmm. love over anger. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life. Your radio station is an example of the future existing right now. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Hello and welcome to another hour accentuating the positive here on Soul Traveller Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain. I'm a teacher of deliberate creation, a channel and a medium, channeling wisdom from my guides and broader perspective whom I've called blissful beings. 
on Accentuate the Positive, you'll hear conversations with open hearts and inspired minds. It's my intent to put more love out through our media. It's so important to have a media diet that uplifts you, empowers you, and reminds you of who you really are instead of a lot of the media that we get that puts you in fear. So this is why I present the show. I've got some wonderful guests lined up for you. Please subscribe and support Positive Media. You can stay up to date with the show on Accentuate the Positive Radio with Karen Swain on Facebook or go to karenswain.com and you'll see most of the podcasts there. Welcome to another conversation with Inspired Minds and Open Hearts. I'm so excited to introduce you to Scarlett Lewis today. Scarlett Lewis is a mother, an artist, and an avid horsewoman, and she is a peace activist, and she has two extraordinary sons who are peace activists as well. One is JT, who's 16 and gorgeous and in body, and the other one (laughs) is Jesse Lewis, who is not in the body anymore, but he's still spreading peace throughout this planet. Welcome to the show, Scarlett. So fabulous to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Karen. It's really exciting for me. I first saw Scarlett. She was uh, speaking at the Uplift Festival in Byron Bay, Australia. And I looked through the speakers and there were many wonderful speakers, but you stood out and your message stood out. And I thought, wow, this woman's amazing. I have to have a conversation with this woman because I just love your message, the tragedy that brought you to the message, not so much fun, but what's come out of the tragedy is amazing. And that's, I love speaking to people who have transformed tragedy into enlightenment, really. And that's what's been going on with you. It's been amazing. And you've cuddled the Dalai Lama and the President Obama. I was having a look at images online this morning and watching you cuddle all these amazing people. So you're really getting your message out there. You and Jesse and JT are really getting the message of spreading love out there. I don't want to go too much into what happened, but we'll just cover it for those people that haven't met you before. So we'll just go over your story with Jesse. And for people who want to hear about it in more detail, they can obviously get the book and read about it. And there's interviews all over the internet sharing what happened in more detail. But we'll just go over it in brief and tell us what happened to make Jesse leave his little body. Sure, sure, right. On uh, December 14th, 2012, an angry young man, actually a former student of Sandy Hook Elementary, shot his way through the glass doors of that elementary school and proceeded to gun down 20 first graders in two first grade classrooms and six teachers and administrators in one of the worst mass shootings in U.S. history. Wow. And I've heard you say that Jesse, and I was talking about this with another person I uh, talked to, I had a conversation with for ATP Media the other day. We were talking about star children and we were talking about the children on our planet who are here to spread a message of love and they're coming in all forms. We were talking about star children, kids that are reconnected to have having lifetimes in other dimensions and on other planets and how they have a different understanding than we do, than humans do, about connection and love. And I was saying to her that Jesse was just one of those star children. He was such a ball of light that even at the moment of his death, he wasn't scared. He didn't run from the shoe, so he actually told 
his classmates to run and then he mm-hmm. went to be by the side of his teacher. Do you want to tell us about that? Uh, yeah, so so um, the police report says that, uh, that Jesse um, stood his ground in front of the shooter and directed his friend's to run and he was uh, instrumental in saving nine of his classmates' lives before losing his own. He died very close to his teacher. So we're thinking that he stayed to defend his teacher. Yeah. So I think that probably he wasn't afraid of death. Do you think he was not afraid of death? <clears throat> you know what I think about in that, in, in that moment when that school was a war zone right? Mm -hmm. Because the guy had a semi-automatic weapon, rapid fire, um, everybody's scattered and scared. For Jesse to do what he did, for Jesse to stand his ground, he died facing the shooter. Um, And to to have, you know, sometimes when we're in this um, fight or flight, it actually, if you understand what happens to the brain, it actually cuts off your logic and reasoning part of your brain and and uh, you just run. And so for him to be thinking at that point and standing his ground and then calling for his friends, you know, this logical, rational thought to call to his friends to run, it gives me comfort because I think that um, he was able to overcome his fear and be very courageous in that moment. And actually to do the ultimate act of courage, which is to lay down your life for your friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason I find your message so powerful is I think that as mothers and as parents, the, the biggest tragedy that we can think of is, you know, losing a child. And that's something that you've been through. And most people, when they go through tragedy, hang on to the tragedy, and yet you're spreading this message of love. Do you want to tell us how you came to this message of forgiveness and love? So, and I might add, Jesse was six years old mm-hmm. uh, and in first grade. and. It was a couple days after the tragedy. I was staying at my mother's who lives across town. I came back to my little farmhouse and I found a message that he had written on our kitchen chalkboard. He had written three words, nurturing, healing, love. Those words are not in the vernacular of a six-year-old. And I I knew that there was no way that they came from that little boy. Um, I, I knew immediately that it was kind of like a a precognitive, he had a precognitive moment, you know, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, a spiritual awareness Mm -hmm. that he wasn't going to be on earth for very much longer. And uh, I just, I got a lot from that message. I I knew that he, he had a spiritual awareness and that that was a message of comfort for us. But I also knew that it was handing me a torch and it was going to be my mission for the rest of my life that I was going to spread that message. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I had to get it into schools and I knew I had to get it uh, in front of kids somehow. I didn't know how. Uh, and, and the interesting thing is when you break down those three words, the meaning, mm-hmm. nurturing means loving kindness and gratitude. Healing literally means forgiveness mm-hmm. and love is compassion and action. And we call, I call it a formula for choosing love led me to being able to choose love in this situation. So we have this formula for choosing love now that we teach in our, um, 
enrichment program in schools. And it starts with courage. And that's based on Jesse's courage. And, and then it goes into gratitude. So picture yourself or picture me having just had a little son that was murdered. So I'm in this dark place, say this hole, if you will, mm-hmm. that's deep. And um, no one could really pull me out of it except for myself. And this formula that Jesse left, these, this message was like a rope that I, I threw down to myself. And my first handhold would you know, be the courage to feel grateful. I started feeling grateful for the things that were still in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, have, we have a lot to be thankful for. I mean, we live in this little 1700s farmhouse in the middle of just a really quaint area of Connecticut. And we have horses and dogs and chickens and we have family and friends around and JT and I have each other. I mean, there's always something to be grateful for. And that's the first step. And then, uh, and then being able to contemplate forgiveness for yourself or others. I mean, that's, this is gratitude. This is forgiveness in, in pulling yourself out of whatever situation you're in. And then really that strengthens you to be able to find meaning in your suffering and and help yourself by being in service to others and helping others because we know that you don't do it because of this but when you help others when you help heal others you're helping and healing yourself so that's really the formula for choosing love each one of those character values takes courage and that's really how i came to choosing love following the tragedy. Yeah. Anyone that's ever lost a loved one to death, having them leave the body, is looking for signs <clears throat> that, you know, they're still around them. Because one of the paradigm shifts that we're going through on our planet right now is that there's no such thing as the afterlife. You know, like we've lived in this smoke screen that this is all there is. And that's what that's like a really strong message. I even wrote a book about it because my mom died when I was 16 and she was talking to me in my dreams for years because I didn't know at 16 how to talk to dead people. Although I think we're all doing it all the time actually, but we're not believing it. Like we're just saying it's our imagination, it's just mm-hmm. a coincidence. All oh, those lights are flickering, I need to fix those lights. You know, like there are so many signs that they give us when we're in our limited sort of egoic mind. And you had plenty of them, especially straight mm-hmm. after it. Do you want to talk about what was happening? Oh my gosh, it was incredible. And I was really blessed. I had a a healer that told me early, early on, you know, if you could refrain from taking medication and you could be present, if you could really, really focus on being present, don't check out because now is a very sacred time. Jesse's right there with you. He's very close. You'll be able to feel him. Uh, You'll be able maybe even to communicate with him. And of course, so I was I was desperate for that. And I, I really stayed very present throughout that time. And really incredible things happened. We had, well, we definitely had lights flickering. We had, um, all of us would get up at 3 a.m. and have the same dream. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had a little situation where my nephew 
woke up really, really early one morning and I, they had uh, come by the house and I had just bought Jesse a train. And uh, this was for Christmas. Remember, this was two weeks before mm-hmm. Christmas. So the night before we had set it up and we had um, put the train track around the base of the tree that we already had. And the boys were playing with this little train that was going around and around. And when I went home, my brother and my nephew came with me. And of course, my little nephew, who I think was four at the time, was like, train, train. And I said, oh my gosh, take that train. I, don't, I can't see it. I don't want it here. Take it. And uh, my brother said, oh no, we can't take that train. I said, you have to take it. I have the box right here. I boxed it up sent it home with them. And uh, the next morning, my brother and his wife are in bed and they heard him talking in the hallway. And he was saying, oh, is this your train? Wow, this is a really cool train. Uh, what? Play with it in the bathtub? I could play with it in the bathtub, which is Jesse was played with all of his toys in the bathtub. But I think, I think even more than that, it's like a knowing when something like this happens, my brother and his wife, they knew that that was a conversation that was happening with Jesse. And they were just sitting in the bed listening. And it was, it was really, really nice. And, and that's happened a couple of times with um, two of his nephews. Um, very sweet. And we, we got some really sweet, just wonderful little messages from him. JT, who's his older brother, he was 12 at the time. He found a little note that Jesse had left him. Uh, It was a little piece of paper and it was folded up and it was on his desk. And um, JT found it a few days after Jesse died and he unfolded it and it said, have a lot of fun. That's such a beautiful message from this little brother to a big brother, because if you think about why we're here... (laughs) Uh, it's to learn lessons and to be in service, to help one another, um, but it's also to have fun. We can't lose sight of that fact. And I knew that such a beautiful message from a little brother to a big brother, but also for the world. You know, we all need to remember to have fun. And so many, so many that I feel, I feel so blessed to have received them, so blessed to have been present, to be able to see them really just beautiful, beautiful acts of love. Look, that message is such a profound message, and yet it seems so trivial, like have a lot of fun. I remember, you know, I was very close to my dad's cousins that came from New Zealand, and when Bert died, he was like 91, 92. He'd lived a really long life. His message was, have fun, I did. You know, like that was the message. And I remember thinking, do I stand up in his funeral and tell the congregations that he's talking to me in spirit, like, do I go there? And I went, no, I didn't go there. But really, because that seems like a trivial message and people can go, oh, yeah, you can pass it off. But there's so much, it's so profound because that energy of fun, that energy of excitement, of joy, is the energy that actually changes the world. It's like it's not our anger or our depression or our sadness or even being serious. It's not our seriousness either. It's, it's our joy and fun and love. And that's who children are, and yet we dismiss that as just being a child. But that's like, that's a profound spiritual teacher right there. (laughs) It's been profound for me. I mean, I know in my own life, I'll be living life over the past four years. And I know sometimes I forget. Yeah. And 
I, I don't even realize that I'm not having fun. Yeah. And I'll have a little bird on my shoulder, really like literally whispering, you're supposed to be having fun. Yeah. And I go, yeah. And it's like a light bulb. It is literally like a switch. And I, I just turn it on. I just turn on the fun and it is a choice. And I say, yeah, I'm going to start having a lot of fun. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. You know, if I'm in front of a crowd and I'm talking and I'll, I'll, I'll have this little moment where I, I have this little voice that says, you're supposed to be having a lot of fun. And oh my gosh, it totally changes my whole demeanor. And I remember, wait a minute, this, this is supposed to be fun. It really is. It really is nurturing, healing love. You know, we're here to give and receive love. It's a basic need, as basic as food and water, right? Really important message. Mm -hmm. Um, Those three words together, really important. They lead us to choosing love. But having a lot of fun is also very important. Well, actually, I I think that when you are nurturing here, you are having, I mean, that's the best fun you can have. Actually, when you're giving from a loving space, you're feeling like you're nurturing. That's a bit, personally, it's a bit, you know, I just came back from Indonesia. I was with Habitat Building Houses in Java for a small village outside Yogyakarta. And it, it was hot and it was hard work and it was the best fun I've had. <laughs> it was really like nice. so much fun. And every right. and part of that, part of that is you doing for others, giving of yourself, your love and energy, because all the love and energy that you give out comes back to you. And that's scientifically researched, you know, and it makes you feel good and it's healing for you. And you're right. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. You are law of attraction. What you give out, you get back. But also, you know, there was this part where you were, you and JT went on a holiday to get away from the Christmas chaos that was going on. Because obviously when you've lost a loved one around Christmas, hard, difficult, Let's get away, have a holiday. So you're going to take JT to, I think, one of those Disney parks. And you're on the plane and the thing is flashing. Do you want to tell that story? Because it's a good story. I know you've told it many times before, but I love it. It is a really good story. So because the tragedy was two weeks before Christmas and then Christmas Day, you can imagine I had already done my Christmas shopping and I'm at my mom's house and all three of my brothers were there and they they all have little kids. Mm-hmm. And so all the kids are running around and, you know, the kids aren't thinking about it. They're thinking about the fact that it's Christmas and, and they're having and, fun. You know, my brothers and their wives, they're busy with their kids. And it was just like, so difficult for me. And I know JT felt the loss too. So I decided we need to get away and reconnect as I'm a single mom. So reconnect as the family of two that we are now. And so within 24 hours, I had plane tickets and a hotel room. So that morning we get up and there's a huge snowstorm and I'm telling all this for a reason. So we start driving out to one airport and we get a pop-up saying the point of origin of your flight has changed. So we had to turn around and fly and, and drive to another airport where our flight was delayed three more times before we finally got on. We finally get on the flight and because of all the time delays, they gave us a free movie. So everybody, so JT's sitting in the window, I'm sitting in the middle and everybody's, I'm looking around, everybody's eating their peanuts and Coke, watching movies, except for me, because my movie is all staticky, and then it would go down 20 channels to a song that was playing for me. In fact, so much so that I grabbed my phone and I was, I was writing down every word in my notes because I knew that it was a message for me. And eventually JT looked over and he said, Jesse? And I said, I think so, you know? 
anyway, we landed and I, and this was two weeks in. So I really hadn't spoken to very many people, even friends. I had, I did have one friend that was checking on me and she texted and said, how was the flight? And I wrote back and I said, this flight was amazing. I said, Jesse was all over this flight. He was messing around with the electronics and sending me messages. It's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she said um, something that really struck me. She said, sometimes spirits linger so that they can make sure that you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I immediately knew what I had to do. So I didn't say anything to JT because it was our fun healing trip. We got off the plane, we got our bags and I said to JT, can you watch the bags for a minute? I'm going to run to the bathroom and then we're, we're going to go. So I went into the bathroom, I went into a stall, I shut the stall door and I just started bawling hysterically. And I said, uh, Jesse, if you're lingering to see if JT and I are going to be okay, we're going to be fine. I want you to go be with Jesus. It's my belief that, you know, we, we go to heaven. And I said, that's where I want you to be. If you could be in both places at once, that would be great. But, but if you're lingering, I don't want you to linger here. We're going to be fine. We will meet you. I want you just to go. I want you to go. Mm-hmm. And go be with Jesus. And, uh, and so I, I kind of sprinkled down my face with water and went back out and said, okay, JT, you know, I didn't say anything to him about it. I didn't want to bring him down. I wanted this to be a fun trip for him. Getting, I was trying to get things back to normal. And so we rented our car and we're driving out of the Orlando airport driveway, you know, like um, whatever, the long entrance. And we make a right onto that highway there and they're written in the sky was by a skywriter that was still flying around, Jesse and Jesus together forever. And, uh, and I pull over and we don't say anything. And we're just looking there. I get my phone. I'm taking pictures, taking pictures, of course. And Jesse is with a backwards J. And he wrote his name like that with a backwards J. So it was like, um, my mom can be kind of a little slow sometimes. So she doesn't think that it's the same Jesse. I'm going to write it with the backwards J. It was like, I couldn't believe it. And I'm, we were just in silence and I look over at him and he looks at me, JT. He's 12 at the time. He says, Jesse's with Jesus. And I said, I know. I didn't tell him Right then about the prayer, I was just too overwhelmed. And then as we're sitting there on the side of the road, the plane is still flying and it flies over in front of us now. So we're looking straight out the windshield and it starts to write another message. And I said to JT, we have to stay here to see this message because this message is for us. And he said, I know. So it starts writing you plus God dash smiley face. And that's more like a message that you would see in a Florida sky, right? And I said, we have to stay close to God to be happy. And he said, yeah. And then he wanted to go to Disney World, of course. <laughs> he was tired <laughs> of the skywriting. Um, but that was, that's given a lot of people a lot of hope. Yeah. And comforted a lot of people. And that was so comforting to me because I knew that that was an answer to my prayer. I knew it was. No one, no one knew. Very few people on earth knew that we were in Florida, but no one knew that I was going to get off that plane, go into the bathroom, say that prayer, drive out and see that message. That was a direct answer to my prayer. 
And what I interpreted that as is Jesse saying, Mom, I am with Jesus mm-hmm. and I am here listening to your prayer too. Like you wanted me to be in both places and I can be. Yeah. And um, that's really, it's really, really helped me. It's really it's so beautiful. The journey of death is such an expansive journey. You know, my journey started when I was 16. I'm an old lady now, not that old, but all getting there. And so I've been, you know, I've been looking into who we are as multidimensional, but who are we when we're not? And it's taken me on so many amazing places. And yeah, and he, and he was giving you, you know, I think that you only start to look at it when you've had that death close to you. You know, these ideas that friend said to you, you know, spirits linger. That kind of made me a bit frustrated when I first heard that and thought, you know, well-meaning friend, but to a sort of a grieving mind, it creates this stress. But at the same time, it created a prayer that created that experience. So it's all good. Yeah, that's true. You know, because who we are as non-physical beings is multi-dimensional and omnipresent and we can't be, you know, you can't, because you're talking to Jesse and maybe millions of people across the world are talking to Jesse, he can answer us all at the same time. He's like, you know, when you're not physical anymore, you're much bigger than it being in the physical body. And, you know, it reminds me of, uh, I saw a medium having a conversation with Jesus in the afterlife and she asked him a question, have you been incarnate on earth before? And he said, yeah, many times. And she said, could you share one of those lives? And he said, well, I came in as a sick child and I died young. And, and she said, why? And they, they said um, in 1962, and he said, well, because, you know, death and of a child creates so much awareness and brings so many people together in love that it really does spread this message of love. And that was my intention in that lifetime. And I just hear that same intention with Jesse. You know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking Jesse and Jesus are one. Well, it's so interesting. Somebody made that comment to me. Why does it take a tragedy for everyone to coalesce and to come together and to do these incredible acts of kindness Mm -hmm. and for things to change? And I know personally, it took a tragedy in my life. It took the vicious murder of my son for me to start living my life in service because I think when you've had such a, a, a terrible loss, you realize that's the only way that you realize that's why we're all here. And that's the only way you can live your life. And by the way, that's a huge blessing. And that is a tremendous life lesson that I feel so blessed to have learned. I didn't know that four years ago, that we're all here just to help one another, but I know it now. And living your life like that is such a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. but it took for me a tragedy. And, and I, I know I wouldn't be spreading this message of nurturing, healing, love, cause I wouldn't have had it, but also I wouldn't be doing that. You know, I would be living my relatively fear-based life like I was before and, and not consciously choosing love in every action. Um, I really, it's not that I always do, uh, I'm human, but I really choose, I try to consciously choose love because I know that everything boils down to two fundamental elements, fear and love. And I had this incredible experience at my mom's house right after Jesse died, where I'm feeling, as you can imagine, so bad that mm-hmm. I thought I was going to die myself. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to dissolve into dirt. And I remember looking at my skin 
like in wonder, like I, I haven't dissolved yet. I mean, that's how bad I felt. But at one point I felt this elation, this incredible, incredible, good feeling like joy. And I thought, that's such a dichotomy. Mm-hmm. How can I be feeling this joy, but I'm feeling this uh, during this time, it was like almost mind blowing. And then I realized, oh my gosh, for the first time in my life, I'm completely devoid of fear. I have no fear. I am not afraid to die. And I experienced every parent's worst nightmare. I'm living it. I have nothing to fear right now. And it was such a good feeling. And then I had like this life review <laughs> all at once. I was shown or, or I saw all of my choices that I'd made, like the major choices in my life going back all the way. And I realized they'd all been made in fear, all of them, all of my relationships, all of my job decisions made in fear. At the same time, I had complete compassion for myself. There was no judgment. I just, I knew why I made those decisions and, and, it, and I felt compassion for myself, but I also knew that if I had been able to make those choices in love, based in love and not fear, that it would have not only benefited me, but it would have benefited the world. And so right then and there, I really made a commitment to myself that I would start basing all my my decisions on love. Now, it's not that that really, I mean, I lived that way with no fear for, I have to say, about a year. Wow. Incredible. It was a long time. I was thinking, it's never going to go away. It it crept up. It crept up when I started to be mindfully aware of like my earthly connections, like JT. I would say, well, I'm doing a lot of traveling and JT needs me. You know, he he needs me really young. And so nothing, I don't want anything to happen to me when I travel, you know, and then that's kind of where it started. Mm -hmm. But I've, really, really tried to not let that take over. I've really, because it's such a great feeling and making choices based in love looks very different than making choices in fear. There are little choices and big choices that we make, like a little choice, a little decision based in fear would be why you take vitamins. Why do you take vitamins every day? What goes through your head? Oh God, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to have cancer. I better take these vitamins. Or you could shift that a little bit and say, oh, I just love my body so much and I just want myself to be in tip-top shape and, and, and really well and lots of energy, so I'm going to take those vitamins. And then Jim Carrey, actually, who is a Canadian actor, he gave a commencement speech. I think it was called Choose Love. He was talking about watching his father make all of these fear-based decisions. And at one point he had gotten this new job that he took based in fear. He hated it. He was miserable. And a few months later, he lost the job. Mm -hmm. And Jim Carrey said, so he and his family had to move into their car and live in their neighbor's front yard. And so Jim was sitting in the back seat as a little boy thinking, wow, so if you make your decisions based in fear and you're going to lose anyway, or you're going to fail anyway, why don't you just make your decisions based in love? And so he made that decision. That was kind of the turning point for him. And so he has tried to base all of his decisions on love. And that's worked out for Jim. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's worked out for Jim. Oh, look, this is such a great message. You know, and everyone that's watching this, I want you to contemplate decisions that you've made. As I'm listening, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of the time when I started to contemplate that. And I remember I, I moved in with somebody that I knew was not, uh, it was a long story, but I knew was not in a great place. She had been deceived by her boyfriend and she was in a really bad place. But I thought, I need to move in with her because I'm never going to rent a place because I'm a single mother and they're not going to, you know, all this fear-based conversation. Right. And moving in with someone who I thought was a friend and she ended up like throwing us out of the house and being in, like it was really a hideous experience. And when I was sort of coming down from this hideous experience thinking, why did that happen? I had this clear reasoning and understanding that I made that decision based in fear because I didn't think that I could rent a place on my own. So I moved in with someone who was not in a good place, but I thought, you know, it'll work out. It'll be cool. It'll be cool. It'll be cool. And that's what you say about the the shooter too. It's it's just a choice of a fear-based thought too. You know, he just had angry thoughts. It was just, you know, everything that's happening in our world that we don't like is just an angry thought. And what I'm seeing happening at the moment, like there's been the presidential election, there are a lot of really lovely people who want to see the world uplifted, but they're angry because their candidate didn't get in. And so these just these angry thoughts just keep perpetuating and perpetuating. Even if you're a lovely, well-meaning person, you know, you still got those angry thoughts. So this message of just sitting back and reflecting and saying, hey, is this helping me? Is this helping the world, this angry thought? Can I choose a better thought? Can I choose love? It's so important. That's how the Choose Love movement started. It was at Jesse's funeral and I spoke and I said, this whole tragedy started with an angry thought in Adam Lanza's head at some point. Adam Lanza's our shooter. I picture him as a little boy having an angry thought without the tools and nurturing environment to deal with that thought. The anger grew and grew. And we know that every single one of us has between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day, every single one of us. And we know through research that up to 70% of those thoughts are angry, Mm. not productive, and don't serve us. Mm. 70% of our thoughts, each thought is impacting us on a cellular level. Mm. Each thought is firing neurons in our brain. Mm -hmm. And we're either moving at any given time towards love or we're moving towards fear. And that means all of us. That means physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so I asked everybody, I said, you're asking, what can I do for you? There is something that you can do. You can actively change one angry thought a day since this whole tragedy started with an angry thought (laughs) and an angry thought can be changed Mm -hmm. at any time this tragedy could have been stopped Mm -hmm. so please take an angry thought and consciously change it into a loving thought one thought a day and i said by doing that you'll positively impact yourself those around you and through the ripple effect you'll make this a better world and oh my gosh the feedback i got back from that about a week later, people writing from all over saying that one little action every day changed their life, that they had never thought about what they thought about. And when they did, they realized that that was true and that they never realized that they could change, that they had control over their thoughts. And so it's such a beautiful, beautiful 
movement that, you know, this is the choose love movement is choosing love over anger. And, uh, and, and we can do it. We have the courage to do it. Look, there's so many reasons to choose love because everybody has desires and wants and needs. And they think in the having of whatever you want, whether it's money or love or health or whether you want your dead loved one to come back, you think that in the having of the thing that you want, you'll feel good. Like it's all based on how I feel. If I get that, I'll feel good. And what you're saying in your movement and what I say with what I teach too is feeling good's up to you right here, right now, by the choice of thought. Like that's where the feeling, you know, the lover doesn't have to come back or the money doesn't have to be in the bank account or you don't even need the health in the body to feel good because you can choose a thought that feels better than an angry thought or a frustrated thought or a depressed thought. And in choosing that thought, you'll feel better. And then you can choose a better thought and a better thought. Because I know that from an angry thought to a loving thought is a bit of a quantum leap. It might take it might take a few different thoughts in between. <laughs> you know, it might take a bit of a journey, an emotional journey. Well, and how do you start that? You say, oh, I can't do that. I'm going through something right now. Exactly. One yeah. of my really good friends had worked for a company for 25 years and she's being pushed out of her job. And I said, you know what? You know how you start? So everybody's got to start. You got to start with gratitude, right? Yeah. You make that list three items you're grateful for every day. And she did it. So I know she was in a really bad place (laughs) because she actually texted me that night with three things that she was grateful for. And you know what? That act changes the wiring in your brain. And it does give you, it gives you the energy to be able to contemplate forgiveness for yourself or others if you have to, and eventually step outside of this busy bubble that we're all in. We all have our lives and our friends and our family and our jobs and our goings on, and we're all really busy. And it actually takes courage to step outside of that bubble, whatever's going, but I'm, I'm going through it, but I'm going through such a hard time. If you could turn from what's going on in your life mm-hmm. and look at somebody else's and, and help them, then that is so healing for yourself. And it <sighs> seems almost counterintuitive, but it it's I I can tell you it is it works because that's what I've done. I've I've looked outside of my own suffering and pain mm-hmm. and uh, just started living my life in service. And I realized yeah. I have to do that. And by the way, JT, my, who's now 16, he did that too. And as a child, I think he was more aware instinctively because children are wired for compassion. Yeah. That that was how he could heal himself. JT doesn't do therapy. His therapy is being in service to others. He started an organization called NewtownHelpsRwanda.org and oh, he's yeah. helped kids all over the world. And he continues to do that four years later. Why? Because helping others is helping himself. Yeah, but absolutely. He doesn't do it because of that, but just, but that's what, it makes that, him feel that, good. That's what's happening. I want to get into that story because that's a great story too, but I wanted to say something about that. You know, we had a bit of trouble, you know, connecting this morning. I have a belief which has changed my life and it's been because I have been on this spiritual journey which says we, we live in a benevolent world. You know, the, the universe, life is happening for me, not to me. It's a mm-hmm. really, really, really powerful belief. So any tragedy that happens, anything that happens, it's happening for me, not to me. There's a, there's a gift in it. And 
you know, when you live your life like that, like you were apologizing this morning because you were late and I'm like, it's cool. It's all happening. It's all good. You know, I know I was so happy. You were so flexible, <laughs> but you know, Hey, it is such a relaxed way to live your life. Cause when people are late, when things don't go well, when things are going wrong, you're just going, it's all good. It's all happening for me. There's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. It's all good. It's all good. I'll put the music on instead. And as I said to you at the beginning of this call, oh, let me put some music on and all the songs that were played, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, Trevor Hall, Forgiveness, and what was her name? Christine uh, Bowen, Love Revolution. It's a love revolution. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's Jessie talking to me on the radio. <laughs> everything happens for a reason and that in itself is such a powerful thought but let's talk about JT's journey to discovering the giving because that was beautiful it was when you came back from your holiday and you kind of fell back into that routine where you start to pick up those old thoughts you know when you go on holiday it's like you leave your old stressful thoughts behind and then you come back into your home and there they are waiting for you and something happened. Do you want to tell us that? Yeah. So we came back and, uh, and, and I wasn't going to work. Um, I felt like I couldn't. And I would go into JT's room and say, hey, do you want to get up and go to school? And he would say, no. And then I would feel relief because I didn't want to send him to school because I sent one of my sons and, into school and he didn't come home. So we were you know, I called the school and asked them for help. And they said, uh, I don't think you understand what's going on here. We're traumatized. And so we were really alone. Mm -hmm. And um, we had this group of orphan genocide survivors reach out to JT via Skype. So, you know, similar to what we're doing. And uh, through an interpreter, they, um, I'll just never forget what they said to him. Uh, they said, JT, we heard about what happened to your little brother all the way over here in Rwanda. And we wanted to connect with you to let you know that you're going to be okay and you're going to feel joy again. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, oh my God, because these people had so much credibility in my eyes. I mean, up until then, we had maybe a couple of people coming through going, oh, you know, time heals all wounds and you guys are going to be okay. And I'm looking at them thinking, you have no idea you have never been through anything like I have. And plus the fact I saw a little bit of fear in their eyes and that was, yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, I'm screwed. <laughs> but anyway, um, so it was an incredible experience where two orphan genocide survivors, so these, are, these were kids um, when the genocide in Rwanda happened in 1994, where over 1 million Tutsis were murdered by their neighboring Hutus within 100 days. These were kids then, now they're young adults. And they told JT, they shared each of their stories. They were very different, but they told him how they recovered. And uh, it was once they had gotten into an orphanage and, uh, and their physical wounds were healing, that they started feeling a profound sense of gratitude for little things, um, for safety and for, for food. And uh, that led them, and, you'll, and this will, you will recognize these steps. I didn't put two and two together in the beginning, but I did after a little while. They 
uh, started with this profound sense of gratitude. And then that led them to be able to forgive who they called the killers, because if they didn't forgive them, they would be going down the same path of anger and destruction. And then that allowed them to step outside of their own kind of universe of pain and be in service and share their story to other people. And in that way, find meaning in their suffering by helping others. And so JT turned around and went to school the next day and started raising money for them to go to university. Because of course, they live in big groups now because they're orphans. So, yeah. so their family would be a big group of orphans, you know, 10 or more. And they all support, help support each other. Mm-hmm. And they'll never be anything other than subsistence farmers with no running water or electricity. And so JT went to school started raising, started this organization called NewtownHelpsRwanda.org, bought those little rubber bands that you put around your wrist and started selling those. And within a couple of months, he was able to Skype back to that group and announced that he had raised enough money to send one of them to university for one year, plus an additional amount to help her family. It was $2,000 total. And then he made a personal commitment to raise the next three years which by the way, he's done. And he's now sending another orphan genocide survivor to graduate school. So he's built a self-sustaining fish pound for former children soldiers in Uganda. He's helped you know, many children in Connecticut who've been through extreme trauma. And it's just really beautiful to watch that he does this to help himself. And, yeah. uh, and he is. Yeah. I know. Giving is living. That's yeah. it. It's true. And there's so much, it's not just like a a theory or a concept that we're talking about. This is hardcore science. Now Mm -hmm. there's science behind giving Mm -hmm. and the the physical, mental, and emotional benefits that we get the way our brain starts to release these good neurochemicals that feel good and how it creates confidence and self-esteem and how uh, I think it even elongates our life. Science has even shown that when you give you have uh, a 22% reduction in mortality. I know this because I have slides um, with all the science behind every single character value in the choose love formula because there's just so much science. It's no longer like choose love, dude, right? Somebody (laughs) said that to me the other day at a picnic because I had my shirt on and he's like, choose love. (laughs) And I was like, no way. Maybe in the 60s, it was choose love like that. Mm -hmm. But now there's science behind all of it. And there's so much benefit for us for doing it. I mean, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Yeah. It's so funny that the science behind it, because I've listened to many, uh, you know, teachers talk about the science behind it. And the thought I just keep having is, okay, so all this science explains why you want to feel good, but we want to feel good because we want to feel good. (laughs) It's like, end of story. It's like, you want to feel good? Choose Everyone just wants to feel good. Everyone right? just wants to feel good. Yeah. It's like science or no science or religion or no religion. I mean, whatever, or political party in, not political party in, you want to feel good, that's in your hands. That's, that's your power. You know, you it is your power. And, power. and, and we all, we are, we're all connected as human beings mm. in this need and want to love and be loved. It's what connects us all. It doesn't matter what perceived differences we think we have or we don't have. We're all connected yeah. through love. 
and, uh, and it's our choice. And you can teach someone how to choose love, which is the really beautiful thing. It's what Jesse left us, this formula for choosing love. And that's the basis for our Choose Love Enrichment Program, which, by the way, is, uh, is for schools. It's on our website, jessielewischooselove.org, and it's free. It's free because it is so vitally important yeah. for people to understand that they can choose love in their yeah. life. We see so much around us. A lot of what we see is lack of love, mm-hmm. right? Or fear. Fear. Can you imagine a world that chooses love? That's the world I want to live in. Yeah. We're getting there and you're really helping. I tell you, your message is spreading. You know, I love this program that you're doing in schools because at the beginning of the year, I was talking to my guides and they said, I said, what do you want me to do with my life? Because I get so pulled in so many different directions. I love doing this because I love spreading people's messages like this. I think that the media is such a powerful way to spread love. But there are other things I do. And they said, we want you to go and teach this in schools. And then I thought, I don't know. I don't, even, I don't know how to do that because I'm not connected to any schools. My daughter's long left school. So watching people like you do it. And then there's another guy in Australia who has a Million Smiles network. He's doing something similar. It's so exciting for me because I think I don't have to do it. Other people are doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's a big undertaking. <laughs> It's huge. And you've got a campaign running for people that want to see this too. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, we have a GoFundMe campaign. We're trying to raise $25,000. That is for us to be able to give this program away. We have a lot of educators that are working on it. It's pre-K through 12th grade, and it's very comprehensive. So it has social-emotional learning. Now, there are decades of research behind social-emotional learning that show, that prove that it is the most proactive and preventative mental health initiative we have. So it it enhances the school and classroom climate. It reduces bullying. Mm -hmm. It reduces substance abuse. It reduces incarceration rates. It increases graduation rates and test scores and grades. It reduces anxiety. It reduces violence. It reduces suicide rates. It's like a miracle drug. And really, it is just teaching kids to understand their feelings and how to have positive relationships and be able to connect. Could it be so simple? It seems that it can through decades of research. So we've included in the Choose Love Enrichment Program the best of the best. So we have social emotional learning. We have emotional intelligence. We have positive psychology. We have some mindfulness in there. We have character values. So it's a really comprehensive program and it's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I have been traveling to schools and I know that there are schools that struggle to purchase programs and every child, and I'm not into entitlement, every child is entitled to this vital life transforming and life saving education. Um, we know through decades of research that this is even more important than reading, writing, and math. Because when you have social and emotional learning skills, the reading, writing, and math come. So uh, it's vitally important to know how, how to understand your feelings, how to manage your emotions, how to have positive relationships and connections. I know that if Adam Lanza 
who was the shooter uh, at Sandy Hook Elementary, I know that if he had had access to social and emotional learning, he and his classmates, that the tragedy would never have happened. Um, and of course, you may not know this, but we have had 203 school-related shootings in the U.S. since Sandy Hook Elementary. We have one per week. And it's kind of like we're treating it like, oh, well, this is our new normal. You know, nobody wants it, but, you know, what can we do? Well, there is something we can do. It's called social emotional learning. We know that that would prevent this. And they're all preventable, all of them, every single one. So you hear passion in my voice. It's because I want to be part of the solution. I don't want anyone to suffer like I have suffered. I don't want a child to be hurt. Do you know that uh, since we started tracking bullying in the United States in 2003, incidences have increased 21%. We have 160,000 children per day staying home for fear of bullying. One in 10 students drops out because of bullying. Wow. Now, what's the antidote to bullying? It's, it's teaching kids how to manage their emotions. It's, you know, because the bully bullies from a point of pain, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have a little baby that's born a bully. Adam Lanza wasn't born a mass murderer. He was born, you know, perfect, as perfect as you can be. He was cultivated into what he became. Yeah. And yeah. so we have to understand, we have to... Uh, be proactive and preventative. We mm-hmm. can't look at the issue and focus on that. Mm-hmm. We, we can't tell kids, this is what you can't do. I mean, a lot of what we teach in schools is anti-bullying. Mm-hmm. Those are mandated programs. We have drug awareness. Uh, we have suicide prevention. We have sex ed, and we focus on the negative aspects of sex. So basically, we're telling kids, look, this is what you can't do to feel good. Back to your point that we all just want to feel good. So the kids are going... Okay, but what can I do to feel good? And, and you know I, what they do? They rebel. Like, what can I do to feel good? They rebel. Well, not giving them a positive option. That's it. How about choosing love? How about choosing love? That's a positive option. And by the way, if you teach them that with the social emotional learning skills, you don't have to reactively focus on the issues because they won't be there. That's right. That's right. I know. I know. Look. it is so important and as a kid you know I was like this dyslexic kid at school I thought that why did they teach us something that's actually going to serve me in my life like arithmetic and all this sort of stuff that we learn at school how's that going to serve me in my life so it's so important to get this in schools but I'm thinking as you're talking you kids get taught into negative behavior and into angry thoughts I don't think anyone's born with an angry thought I really don't they pick it up they pick it up from their parents' angry thoughts and their cultural angry thoughts and, you know, the society around them. Television media is such a huge way to pick up limiting thought forms. And so this program is kind of rather than teaching them, it's teaching them out of it. It's teaching them how to get out of these angry thoughts and back It's teaching them how to choose love. You can have angry thoughts, but it's teaching you how to choose love. I mean, I've been into prisons and they're just people in pain and they didn't know how to choose love. But yeah. once they're shown the way, they want to do it. Yeah. Why? Because that's what connects us all. They're no different than me. Mm-hmm. They just didn't know how to choose love. They made mistakes. And now when I give them this formula, they want it. Of course they want it because it makes you feel good. 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting. That was a tough audience. I saw that you and JT went into a prison and spoke to them. And you can watch that on your website too. On the front page of your website, you can see that as part of the YouTube video you've put up there. But there's an even tougher audience out there at the moment, interestingly enough, is connected to religion. You know, Googling you last night, I saw this negative stuff on the internet and I'm scratching my head thinking, what is going on? And then a couple of thoughts hit me was that you've been so, your message has gotten so far that I guess that when you are in the public eye in such a big way, you're bound to get negative stuff. But this audience is a religious audience who are, you know, using the name of God to judge someone else. Do, do you want to talk about that? I don't consider them religious. Um, Just I've never... a couple of the things that I clicked on, they say okay. prayer before, like there was all this sort of religious rhetoric beforehand. Okay. I, I've never... Just a couple of the things that I clicked on and yeah. I went, oh my God, you know, so yeah. Well, yeah. We call them theorists. And uh, so they uh, do believe that Sandy Hook never happened. And they, they claim that we're actors and, and uh, we're fake grieving and whatever else. You know, I, I have compassion for them because they can't live. They can't live in a world. It's too fearful for them to live in a world where something like Sandy Hook could happen. And I mean, I've had some back and forth with, with one or two of them. Um, I always offer my book, Nurturing Healing Love, and no one, no one of them has ever taken me up on it, but they can't imagine a world where Sandy Hook could happen. And you know, it is unbelievable, really. It's very unbelievable for me, even today, four years later, to think that a former student could use a semi-automatic weapon, shoot his way through glass doors, and viciously execution-style murder 20 first graders in two classrooms and six teachers and administrators. That's unfreaking believable But it happened. And we, and we have to, I mean, we've had 203 since then. Those aren't all fake. You know what I mean? I wish they were, frankly. But when you deny reality, you can't be part of the solution. You're part of the problem. And you have to take responsibility really for what's happening in your world. I mean, I say, I take my part of the responsibility for what happened on 1214. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been saying that Adam was cultivated into the mass murderer that he became by his environment. Who was his environment? I was in his environment. His environment was Sandy Hook. I've lived here for 18 years. I don't know if I ever ran across him. I certainly never met him or his mother. But I know that in my own life, I haven't always had positive, loving thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't always done positive, loving things. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how far-reaching those effects are. Mm -hmm. So I know that I have to take, in order to be a part of the solution, you have to take you're part of the responsibility for what's going on in our world. Yeah. And I knew I needed to be part of the solution. And, uh, and so that's how I'm living my life. And I feel like, you know, we have all of these people here in the U.S. that are hemming and hawing about the election. Mm -hmm. But in reality, our election doesn't change our day-to-day -day lives. We still have the issues that we have. And I'll tell you what, if a politician could fix the shootings that go on in the U.S., mm -hmm. if they 
fix our mental health issues, if they could fix the bullying, if they could fix the drug addiction, if they could fix our, our skyrocketing incarceration rates, they would have. Of course they would have. They want their families to be safe. They want this to be a good world, regardless of what party you're from. But they're not political issues that we're seeing. They're heart issues. They're They're heart issues of the heart. And who solves those? I've never known. I've never been able to blame somebody and then demand that somebody fix my problem and and that work. That's never worked out for me. Who's going to fix it? We are. Yeah. We're the only ones that can fix it. The mm-hmm. politicians can't because if they could have, they would have. Mm-hmm. So now it's, it's our turn to be responsible for what's going on in our world and to be the change that we wish to see within it. That is up to us. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. But I've learned in the last four years how powerful one individual voice can be. I feel like, um, as Marianne Williamson says, our greatest fear is we're powerful beyond belief Mm -hmm. and that we can do anything that we set our minds to. And I believe that about every single individual. I know that if we all focus on choosing love Mm -hmm. in our lives, Mm -hmm. that will cultivate a safer, more peaceful and loving world. I know it will. And so that's the message that I'm going to spread for the rest of my life. Absolutely. Look, hallelujah, I'm there with you. I think that the problems of our world is a revolution in consciousness, even though the probably the most outstanding problem we have as, uh, as, as the survival of humanity is the planet. But when we all understand that we're all connected, we understand that through choosing love, then we'll stop polluting our planet, you know, then and pollute, everything will change. It's a revolution in consciousness. And you're a huge part of that revolution. Congratulations. I just wanted to say something, you know, you said the power of choosing love. Uh, One of my favorite teachers says, you know, one person connected to love is a million times more powerful to affect change than trillions who are not. Because the power of a positive thought holds so much weight for manifestation, for change, to get things to shift, to mold the energy of life. A negative thought doesn't hold as much uh, energy. And you know that because when you feel negative, you feel tired. And um, Mm -hmm. so it's literally that energy. When you feel happy and joyful and excited and loving and caring and giving, you feel energized. You know, Mm -hmm. so you you physically feel that power in your own body. You know, one person connected to the stream of love is more powerful than a million who are not. And and that's what you're doing. You say the power of one person. It's the power of choosing that loving thought. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Oh, boy, I don't know how long we've been talking. I think we've been chatting for about an hour or so, probably a bit more. I could talk to you all day about this because it's such a wonderful message. Is there anything you'd like to leave people listening to this? I would urge you to go onto the website and share this free program with other parents, other schools. I know as a parent myself, if I knew the importance and power of social emotional learning, of teaching kids character values and emotional intelligence, learning how to have positive relationships. I mean, I think I was an okay parent. I wasn't a fantastic parent, but I don't have 
high emotional intelligence, believe it or not. I, I know that in myself. And so I have a limited ability to pass that on to my son. And even if I was the most emotionally intelligent person on the planet, we need to have a consistent message of compassion across in, in the home, in the school, in the community. So I would really urge you to spread the word about the Choose Love Enrichment Program. I mean, it's free. It's powerful. It has decades of research behind it from social and emotional learning, just how it transforms and even saves lives. And we're piloting in the U.S. here. It's in about 200 classrooms. And the feedback that we're getting is absolutely phenomenal. It is not only from students, but also from educators. We know so far that we've saved one life. And that was a high school student that had attempted suicide, been hospitalized, come back to school and learn the formula for choosing love. And he says that it saved his life. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's very outspoken about it. In fact, Mm -hmm. he is on that video that's on our webpage. And we've transformed so many others um, that I've lost count. But what a blessing that I see this. It's almost like this whole thing has come full circle for me. Uh, I was just in a classroom the other day with our senator, our U.S. senator from Connecticut, Senator Blumenthal, and we were watching a courage lesson being taught to sixth graders in one of our pilot schools. And it was just such a such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful message. And all the educators that have worked on it. So the program was written by educators for educators. We would always say towards the end of our calls, gosh, I wish that we had had this knowledge taught to us when we were young. If we had this awareness, then our lives would have been totally different. But we can offer that to our children and we're doing that and it's free. It's online. And I just want to offer that to to any school, any educator that understands the power of social emotional learning, wants to have it in their classroom. They're free to download the materials. There's free resources, free videos to experience the power of social emotional learning in their classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, you said that you're not very good at emotional intelligence and you're only, you know, one person and you're flawed. I love that about you because you are you are this mom, you know, I'm going to say that with an American accent, this mom, we say in Australia, yeah. and you are affecting this change. And so for anyone out there that thinks I'm not good enough, I'm not educated enough, I'm not a spiritual teacher, I'm not a guru, I'm not the Dalai Lama or whatever you think, I'm not psychic, you know, it's just choosing love will change the world. Your power is in your choice. It's not in your education or your emotional intelligence or your, you know, or your IQ. <laughs> you know, that's not where the power right. is. The power to change the world is choosing love. And that's... Yes, absolutely. And anyone can do it. And, 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 that's, do it. and that's what you're doing. And being this sort of mom of a couple of, you know, amazing beings is exactly how you're doing it. So thank you so much. If there's somebody that's out there that's thinking, well, I'm always angry and I've been angry my whole life and I'm frustrated and I'm going through a terrible time right now. So this isn't going to work for me. It sounds great, but it's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm telling you through neuroplasticity, which is the ability of our brain to change. In fact, your brain, your listeners' brains have changed from listening to this broadcast you're walking away with different wiring in your brain because you've been listening to this, okay? So that's happened over an hour. Choosing loving thoughts 
changes your brain. It changes the wiring in your brain through neuroplasticity. It's a beautiful thing. We know so much more about the brain over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So when you use loving thoughts, you can actually create new neural connections that become highways and you will be able to be a person that chooses love automatically after you've practiced for a while. It may be really hard in the beginning, right? And take effort. You know what? It's going to feel really good. So once you realize how good it feels, that's going to get you to do it some more. And then before you know it, you're going to be a person that chooses love that other people look to for loving thoughts and loving guidance. Yeah. I have to say my, you know, work and interviews attract teachers, teachers that people that are here to teach love in all different ways. And that's a great message for them. I just want to add one story you know, my daughter went through a really hard year, just I call it the dark night of the soul, where she was just believing her stressful thoughts. And so mums, I've been teaching this work for years and she was rebelling against it, which was not great because, you know, like you just, you hit that, I don't want to listen to what my parent says anymore. I want to do it for myself. And that's where she was. And she had this sort of like, I have the right to be angry. It's kind of like, don't, tell me to be happy. I have a right to be angry. And that was the energy I was feeling from her. It's like, don't tell me to be happy. Don't tell me to be loving. I, I'm, this is happening and, and I have a right to be angry. And that thought kept her in this dark place for so long. And I just kept reminding her that she can shift that. She can shift that. The more I reminded her, the more she pushed against me. And then it shifted. And I said, what changed? And she said, I just started to look at a lot more positive media and read a lot more positive things. And as you said, just listening to this conversation for an hour shifted. It just shifted. It just shifted. Just feeding that media diet, just feeding your brain positive stuff, positive stuff, and it shifted. And it was like, for a mother, it was like, especially for a mother who teaches this stuff. Because I felt like such a failure (laughs) when my daughter was so angry at life, you know. But now she's getting back. She's getting back to that, those loving thoughts. And a lot of it's happened through service. She's, she's in service. Yeah, she's... That's beautiful. And they're listening. They're li- I know JT listens to my interviews and he's sitting in the other room. He says, I don't want to go listen to you talk because I, are, I hear you all day yeah. on the phone. And, uh, but you know what? He's listening and your daughter's listening. And, yeah. and that, is, that is taking seed. You know, it's yeah. planting the seed and it's taking hold and it is going to grow and germinate. Yeah. Scarlett Lewis, thank you so much for being on ATP Media today. It's been just beautiful and blessings for all the work you're doing. Thank you so much, Karen. Thanks so much for joining me for another show accentuating the positive here on the home of Conscious Music, Soul Traveller Radio. Remember to support conscious music consciousness go to soul traveler radio on facebook and accentuate the positive radio with karen swain on facebook check out my website karenswain.com for any readings and teachings available about spiritual deliberate creation for the change makers difference makers and disruptors catch you next time thanks for listening bye for now